Welcome to TSG Talk. TSG Talk aims to contribute positively towards the care of an injured casualty or vulnerable patient. If your goal is to maximise your input for the people you care for, then TSG Talk is for you. Our podcast will interview colleagues who are at the cutting edge of their professions. Often they're involved in creating solutions for areas that historically have proven difficult or have a wealth of experience in a particular complex response. Each podcast will provide unique, engaging content. At TSG Associates, we will always strive to ensure our solutions are ahead of the curve and positively impact on the quest for prioritising survival and minimising suffering. We believe TSG Talk will complement our vision and provide a platform to enhance your response. It is my pleasure to now pass you across to our host, Senior Partner at TSG, Colin Smart. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of our podcast, TSG Talk, Delivering Care in Remote Locations. Delivering optimum care will always be the prime objective in our quest to maximise survival and minimise suffering. The objective does not change when we work remotely, but to achieve the same, there are several factors that we need to consider if, if we are to be successful. With this in mind, let me introduce our guest tonight, Dr. Bob Mark. Bob has vast experience working in remote locations, and tonight I am privileged to talk with Bob to explore his scope of work and learn from his experience. So good evening, Bob. It's good to see you. How are you today? Yeah, I'm uh, doing okay. Uh, a tad post-COVID, but uh, gradually, gradually uh, returning to what counts for normality these days. Yeah. Oh, that, 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 that's good to hear. It's, it's never a good experience, and uh, I'd better make the excuse for my voice tonight because it's slightly strained. So um, if it's a, it's a bit hoarse, I, I, I do apologise. Um, Bob, just before we, we actually go into the subject of um, care in remote locations, um, today. Could you just give our listeners a little bit of um, your background um, and maybe a little bit more specifically about what you've done in remote, remote locations as well? Yeah, sure. Um, I've, I've, been, I've been thinking about this uh, and given that I qualified in uh, 1980, uh, I, I have to say some of it's starting to feel a bit remote. Um, I've done a lot of urban general practice in UK, a lot of uh, traditional, as it were, pre-hospital care with the ambulance service. Done a lot of work in A and E, and I think it, I think it was in A and E where we first met, wasn't it? Can you, yes. Can you remember what year that was? Uh, I can roughly. It was probably 1989 when I was doing one of yeah. my attachments. Yep, yeah. a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was a lot to answer for. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, my first foray into anything like remote area medical care was after the. First Gulf War, uh, and I was providing medical support for the for the teams fighting the uh, the oil well fires in Kuwait. Um, Kuwait might not sound particularly remote, but it was immediately post-war. Um, we flew in through the uh, through the oil well fires that uh, I remember you said you'd seen from the ground when you uh, yeah. when, when when you went through uh, when you were still in the uh, the army. Um, and it was, it was remote in that you know the so many services were degraded and we were looking at it was a big area, um, so yeah and, and and I guess that was uh, was remote. Um, it was certainly a seriously steep learning curve for me. Um, the learning curve, uh, both personally and professionally, was uh, almost overhanging. I think it would be fair to say, uh, but something something bit me. Um, 
Uh, I then went to work on uh, the minefield clearance uh, around the borders uh, of Kuwait with a different outfit. Worked in the North Sea for a while, um, worked offshore there, uh, and that was followed by working in a gas field in Central Asia. Um, I then sort of tried to settle down a bit, back home working in A&E, um, and was having a, a quiet pint in uh, in my local, and a bloke was pointed out to me who turned about turned out to be a, a remote area medic who was home on leave. So needless to say, one quiet pint turned into several more. Um, and to cut a long story short, he put me onto the, the newly formed medical services company he was working for, and I ended up being their first medical director, uh, and starting off with literally a handful of uh, medics, you know, six, eight medics, something like that. Uh, and by the time I uh, I left them, they were uh, they were up in the hundreds uh, with uh, with projects all around the world, uh, which was uh, uh, which was very interesting, great challenge, uh, and I guess a labour of love. Um, certainly interesting. For several years, I was on call. 24 7 365 to to provide advice to uh, the guys working in the field setting up the SOPs still not sure if anybody read them um, and doing uh, doing all the backroom stuff um, and at times I even got to wear a suit and tie uh, and uh, waffle at conferences and do other uh, do other corporate stuff but they were a great team to work with from the UK office based people um, and, and all and all the people out on the ground um, and occasionally I would still get out uh, in the ULU to uh, to go and visit projects for audit and training and recruitment and all that kind of thing. So uh, uh, a, f a fabulous experience. Um, meanwhile, uh, at home, um, I was doing things like training my local, uh, helping train my local cave rescue team, uh, and certainly care and rescue of the seriously injured underground. Uh, that's a uh, that, that's that's a serious challenge. Um, I was involved in emergency planning for my own hospital uh, and was also <laughs> seconded as a health emergency planner to the regional government. Uh, that was something of an eye-opener into how some aspects of government work or don't. Um, but I think it's fair to say I wasn't cut out to be a civil servant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as all my mates said to me when I, uh, when I finished, yeah, we didn't think it was a good idea, Bob. Yeah, well, thanks for telling me. Um, I was in the, uh, I, I passed the diploma in immediate medical care at the College of Surgeons in Edinburgh. Um, that was that was quite a stressful thing, but it, I don't think it was as stressful as going back and examining for it. Um, huge, uh, huge responsibility. Um, and the, the standard of the candidates was such that, uh, you know, very often uh, after a candidate had left the room, uh, uh, my fellow examiner would turn to me and say, did we pass? Um, <laughs> yeah, and then and then was in the first cohort of candidates for the for the fellowship in immediate medical care, uh, and I wrote my dissertation on medical care for remote industrial projects, uh, which was fairly dry stuff to be honest. Uh, so I put some dramatic photos of uh, oil well fires in uh, and passed. So all down to the all down to the photography. Um, I then moved on to be a, a GP on one of the smaller Channel Islands. And general practice there, not like general practice in uh, urban UK, that's for sure. Um, uh, you did everything, the pre-hospital care, um, the general practice, 
looking after the long stay patients in the cottage hospital, running its emergency room, um, and uh, and handling the medivacs uh, off the island either to to UK or um, the, the larger Channel Islands. Uh, but that that was a fantastic experience because basically you were you were following the patient from the point of illness or injury uh, right through the system and then back again, um, which is not something one gets to do so much in uh, uh, in, in urban in urban practice. Um, and an amazing place to work um, and, and very much a, a life changing experience, uh, professionally and personally. Um, are you still with me? You've not nodded off. I'm. I'm. I'm, <laughs> I'm actually. Uh, it, it, it's such um, a diverse and, and, and deep uh, experience that you've got, and, and I think that that's why I was so keen to talk to you about all, all, all the different factors. Remote isn't just one area. So it's there's so many bits to what is remote, isn't it? And I think that's what yeah. I'm fascinated yeah. by. Yeah. Um, but by, yeah. by your history, you've been remote in all different locations. But the other thing I picked up on <clears throat> was obviously you've been a practitioner on the ground, but also you've had to, as we would say in the, sort of the oil industry, you've been a, the top side doctor, somebody that we give a phone call to to get advice. Yeah. And I mean, that's a whole other area of care that we, we maybe don't cover enough because I know when I was operational, I would look at the top side cover and see who I had to talk to. And there were certain doctors I wanted to talk to and certain doctors I didn't because there were good people at that and bad people at that. And I think that that role in remote care is something that should be maybe looked at closer. What what are the standards of actually providing advice to the, to the, the person on the ground? Well, obviously that's moved on a, a lot with telemedicine, but the basis of being able to communicate with a medic, understand limitations, empathize with the scenario, it's it's massive to get that right makes such a difference the uh, communication you said the magic word and that's going to come up again and again i suspect as we as we continue talking um understanding the the medical <coughs> situation uh, when you're the top side doc uh, is uh, is very important um, and if you've not been out there you 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 you've got to be somebody who's put work into understanding what's going on out there, or just, or just have the ima- imagination to work out what's going on. And you've got to be able to listen to the medic. If you come up with ideas, you've got to be able to listen to the medic. Um, um, if you produce something, if you produce a solution that isn't going to work for whatever reason that you're not aware of until he points it out to you. Um, and also the medic's got to be able to communicate um, um, in a um, in a in a, in an orderly structured fashion, which is a really difficult skill to learn. Uh, it's difficult to present a patient without bouncing around all over the place, um, and that was uh, that that was one of the things I always uh, found difficult. And the other thing, which was you remember I said I was on call twenty four seven three hundred and sixty five and got all these other irons in fires. Uh, I think that was a weakness, although it could be a strength because you got to know people and you, you know, you, you you understood what was going on here, there, and everywhere. Hopefully, it was also a weakness, uh, definitely, um, because you know there was a lot of pressure um, and being pulled in several different directions at once. Um, which, uh, um, let's say, my communication wasn't always at its best or more than more uh, or at its most empathic sometimes. Um, given given that, so uh, you've got to have 
you know, you, you've got to you've got to allocate time, and you've got to have flexibility if you're going to do topside properly. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's it's an area I think we should probably look at in some depth later on. And it's interesting you said the the ability for the medic to um, com communicate the, you know, the 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 whole case that 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 the patient is is presenting to them. I know I was a great fan of of, of using check sheets. You know, if I had to present a, a chest pain or a abdominal pain, yeah. uh, I would actually have a sheet in front of me that I ticked off every box that I wanted, so I knew I wouldn't miss anything. And I think that goes back to a little bit what I've learned reading around aviation. It's that pilots understand checklists are important because they can't miss anything. And I found if I just tried to give a, a history of a chest pain without a checklist, I, I would always miss something and it was quite important and my communications wasn't good. Um, and I suppose one thing I'd probably say to any person who wants to work remote is have your checklist so you know how you're communicating to you, your next medical authority is, is as good as it can be, because then it makes a top-sized doctor an awful lot, you know, job an awful lot easier as well, I think. Yeah, and the other, the other wrinkle is the top-side doctor can talk to the patient. We sometimes forget that. We, we tend to do it just through the medic. Uh, and the patient might be, might be right next <laughs> to the medic. Yeah. Um, um, and, and so you can, you, can, you can take a history or whatever from the, uh, from the patient and explain things to the patient and the medic at the, sa at the same time. And you know and what? That's, and, that's an, and that's an underused wrinkle. I've never used that. Um, and it's so obvious, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I, I didn't use it enough without a doubt. Yeah, the amount of times I've been talking to the doctor with my patient next to me, and I, I just haven't said talk to them. <laughs> so I, every day is a, a every day you learn something, don't you? So that's that, that is so obvious, isn't it? And I, and I think something, um, if you were to look at a, a, a top tip for working in remote areas, it's probably one of them, isn't there? Well, no, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Moving on. Um, I took my NH pension, NHS pension in 2015 uh, and then spent the next five years uh, working voluntarily and part-time uh, providing medical support and training for the, the Halo Trust. Uh, for those who don't know the Halo Trust, that's uh, a charity that's involved in clearing landmines and other explosive debris of war uh, and preventing people in various ways from... Uh, being injured by these horrible things in, in post-conflict zones. Uh, that, that was a, an amazing opportunity and an almost full circle taking me back to what happened in, uh, uh, in Kuwait where I saw several mine injuries and didn't like them. Um, they, uh, a marvellous a marvellous outfit. Um, if, you, if you cast your mind back to pictures of uh, Lady Di in uh, minefields in Africa, it's, uh, it's that... Uh, uh, it's that organisation. They're doing sterling work at the moment, not only all around the world, but specifically in Ukraine, um, where plainly uh, there's a huge issue with unexploded ordnance and landmines and God knows what else. Um, and if anybody's got a, f uh, a few uh, a few dollars or pounds or whatever that they that they want to get rid of, uh, the Halo Trust find them online and uh, give us your money. To paraphrase uh, Bob Geldof. Um, and of course, I've been working uh, with you on TSGs and solutions for, for multiple casualty incidents, uh, particularly on uh, remote industrial projects. And that's been an interesting experience in, uh, in so many ways. Um, and I guess in retrospect, re retrospect, that 
sounds like an awful lot of hard work uh, and I suppose it was but uh, it's been worth it for the the personal and professional rewards without a doubt. No, it's been it's been it's been fantastic working alongside you on that one. Um, I'd just like to back up what you said about the Halo Trust, Bob. Halo is actually the the adopted charity for, for TSG Associates, and um, I think likewise um, in the first Gulf, I got stuck in a minefield, um, and I mean there were just so many mines laid um, during that campaign, and you saw we were always going to come across them, but I managed to to tiptoe my way out of it. But it's certainly an experience I'll never forget. Um, and anything we can do, you know, I think the great phrase you use is every time we take one landmine out of the planet, it's a better place. Um, and it's so true, you know, the, the, the evil of, of these devices is just ridiculous. So, you know, I think we'll push that every moment we can. Halo Trust is a tremendous organization and they always need money. So anybody is interested, give them a shout, I think. It is. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So, so, I mean, it's a truly amazing experience, um, and we we are in, in a small part has been lucky enough to work with you on on as I say the multiple casualties in in remote locations. But just just looking back at your experience, Bob, did, is there any sort of specific recurring issues in remote working that you come across that you could maybe highlight that that you know our colleagues could take on board and maybe think about to enhance the next trip that they go out on? Um, I'm like a probably probably talk for days on that um, but, but various various softer things softer skills and knowledge come to mind uh, obviously as we've we've mentioned projects very 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 much in the in the nature from a, a handful of people on a little expedition to huge oil and gas projects or humanitarian projects but there are uh, there are often commonalities the first thing that comes to mind is that medical care can be seen very differently by the medical team or medic uh, on a project than by professionals from other disciplines on the project for whom um, looking at the bottom line or production figures etc uh, can be their uh, priority and, and medicine comes much further uh, down their list of priorities uh, but at least until the wheel comes off so that needs um, that that needs to be remembered, and and going on from that, you're not working in what's primarily a medical system. So if you're going from an ambulance service or a hospital or general practice or whatever, you go into something that isn't a medical system, uh, and don't expect things to work like they do in a medical system, uh, or for you necessarily to have the the same authority as when you were working in in a in a medical system, um, and. I certainly remember being cut down to size on more than one occasion um, in, uh, in 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 regard to that, um, and even you know a, a an example uh, going from a hospital environment where if you phone somebody up, um, you, you always use the the, the the prefix doctor when you when you ring in a ward or ring in a secretary or possibly a colleague, um, but that really didn't go down well. Ringing, ringing colleagues um, in, uh, in in the gas industry, um, not least I suppose because uh, lots of lots of those guys were uh, were proper doctors. They were PhDs, not uh, with brains the size of several planets, um, as as opposed to just somebody with an honorific uh, medical doctor title. Um, what else? Yeah, um, 
just to be clear, acute severe illness and even more so major trauma is not going to be your daily butter, daily bread and butter in most remote area work. It's going to be minor illness, minor injuries, mental health problems, occupational health. Um, so you've got to have a very broad range of skills, but you've got to keep up uh, your emergency skills because obviously that's that's time limited and you can't uh, you can't learn you can't learn that on the job. Whereas you've got the time to learn the other things on the job. Um, and prevention of illness and injury is of so much importance in remote areas so that you don't end up with the difficulties of major illness or injury um, and, and having to deal with that. And that starts from back in the world with staff selection, uh, fitness to work policies, health and safety uh, on site. Incredibly important, crucial. Uh, but possibly not very sexy, um, but uh, nevertheless, it's incredibly important and a, and a whole different mindset from you know MCIs and trauma care and so on. No, I think that's so true, and I, I suppose going back a little bit to my experience, um, it, it's about um, doing primary healthcare so much of the time, isn't it? And a lot of occupational healthcare as well. The, I always found the, the the diversity was ever-changing no matter in, in the different locations you went to but basically I'd say probably 90% of my experience was was just keeping people fit and healthy um, and, and often which was something I'd never experienced um, just given um, emotional support sometimes if somebody's had a bereavement uh, I remember as a very young medic um, with you know somebody who was probably 20 years plus my age had a bereaved brother and I had never dealt with that before, but it was important that I needed that skill. And I remember thinking, I have never done this before because um, I didn't have, you know, this person in front of me had far much more life experience than me. Yeah. Um, and, and But the, I still had to give a level of care uh, to that person, which I, did, I really hadn't been trained in. And I always remember thinking that it's something we have to think about. It's not, as you say, small percentage of the work is the big serious stuff we have to deal with and life-threatening but good primary health care but then everything it fits around that you know is 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 part of the remote medics job i think and mm -hmm. and often piled on the medic because that's that's the best that's the the person they look at oh who can do that the medic can do that um not to not to also forget you used to become a very good typist because you always get secondary roles <laughs> so be ready for them i think yeah. yeah definitely. No, I think those those are that those are those are excellent tips to um to 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 pass on. Just just back in those uh, areas of awareness up really. Have, have you got any stories that have come out from uh, usually humans attached to stories, but uh, but lessons learned is what we're always looking for. Anything that that comes yeah. that comes to mind? Yeah. The uh, I suppose that the, the the first one that that comes to mind is working in Kuwait on the on the landmine clearance. Um, and we had uh, a load of blokes working uh, two, three hours drive away um, in, a, in a big ammunition dump. Not a, it hadn't been a well-managed ammunition dump uh, or ammunition store. There were lots of things stored together that shouldn't have been stored together um, or shouldn't even have been stored, possibly. Uh, one thing, one item of ammunition cooked off, exploded, uh, and that set off a chain reaction in this ammunition dump that people were uh, working in um, and they all had to uh, run or jump in their vehicles and uh, and uh, and 
in order to uh, to escape with their lives. The only, thankfully, the only injury we got was um, somebody who'd uh, got a minor fracture of his foot uh, jumping off wherever he was working to to get to a wagon. Uh, you know, there was nobody, uh, nobody was uh, torn apart by the surface-to-air missile that appeared to be chasing him or whatever. Um, but uh, you know, it was it was plain. It was plain and obvious that uh, we didn't have a plan for this kind of thing. And at the debrief, I mentioned this. Um, you know, this kind of thing could could happen. Uh, and everybody looked at me, and most of them rolled their eyes. Uh, and the boss said, "Yes, Bob. Very, very true. Write the plan." So, uh, uh, <laughs> rule 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 one: never volunteer, even accidentally. Um, Second, second one that comes to mind, when, and you know, and that of course set me off on a large part of my career with uh, with emergency planning. Um, the second one uh, just reminded me with with the talk of working offshore um, and how you can do things differently offshore. Um, so I'm out on this rig in the middle of the North Sea. Um, the, it's clagged in, fog everywhere. Uh, Evacuation is going to be very difficult. And I had a, a guy come with a, a twisted uh, testicle, a testicular torsion. Uh, very unpleasant, very painful. If you don't, uh, if you don't get that sorted, the guy, as well as having lots of pain, is going to lose his testicle because uh, the blood supply gets cut off. Um, so I'm thinking, well, what do I do about this? So I spoke to the uh, uh, the GU surgeon in, in Aberdeen. Um, on, on the phone, the, the most important bit of telemedicine kit there is, the phone, uh, and uh, and he talked me through manually reducing this thing, i.e. twisting it in the right direction so that it popped back into place, uh, just under cover of Entonox uh, um, gas and air for the pain. Uh, I've never read that in any book. I've never heard anybody say that. Um, but once again, comms, talk to people, and they can uh, and they can possibly get you out of a hole. And it certainly got it certainly got uh, certainly got him out of a hole. Uh, uh, and the uh, and the other issue is from the from the Channel Islands. Um, and you remember, I said uh, you know you, I was picking people up from the roadside, um, and and it was uh, high summer, a lot of tourists on the island, uh, and got called out to. Uh, a 13, 14 year old lad who'd come off his bicycle doing Mach 2 down the uh, down the big hill and so working there with the voluntary ambulance service that we have there um, and doing all the pre-hospital stuff uh, got him into the A&E department, A&E room in the, uh, in, in the little cottage hospital sorting out his uh, sorting out his Physiology, uh, taking him to and, and organising the medivac um, onto, onto the main island, and all through this, there was the patient's guardian, uh, the, the father of his friend who they'd gone on holiday with, who was who was watching all the time, and and after a while, it started to get a bit unnerving, because it be, it became apparent that he knew something about this game. Uh, and so, after, I mean, it, it wasn't unpleasant uh, in, in any way. He was just watching and stroking his chin. 
so after after a while, uh, about halfway through this thing, I had a little word with him. He said, "You know, are you you know medical in any way?" And it turned out um, until recently he'd been uh, the trauma team leader at one of the major London trauma care centres. Uh, all right, okay, mm, good, no pressure then. And so uh, I carried him doing my thing and involved him in terms of, you know, saying anything you want to say, you know, anything you want to add, great. Uh, and keeping him informed about what was going on and why I was doing what I was doing. Um, and we and we got this and we got this young lad off the island um, uh, to where he needed to be, uh, medevaced in a small fixed wing aircraft. Um, and the whole thing was uh, less than an hour from start to finish. Uh, to get him off uh, and he said that was fantastic he said London there's no way we could have got that done uh, in such a short time um, and the answer is the reason is size does matter and small is beautiful uh, because you've got a small team all used to working with each other all practiced all done it before um, everybody in the in the more peripheral as it were, organisations such as the uh, the airline and the airport people all stopped to what they were doing and prioritised what needed to be done for this patient's care, uh, and the whole thing and the whole thing came together came together beautifully. Um, so, and that's one of the things that, although uh, a lot of work in remote areas can perhaps be more difficult and challenging than it would be in a conventional environment, sometimes the opposite is true. Um, because you can get things to work more, more, more smoothly, particularly if it's if it's practiced and everybody everybody knows their place in the team. Yeah, and and you know that's such a good point. I, th I think what I'm getting from that is um, small, well organised teams function really well, and I, I've certainly seen that before. Um, and you can make things happen, but there's got to be an awful lot of work behind those scenes to make it function, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I think um, one of the things I learned similar to this was um, it's not just your medical team you have to get organized. It's all your people who are planning your logistics need to understand what you're talking about. If I say I've got a priority one, what does that mean? Do they understand my time limitations? Do they understand my medical limitations? So it's the communication works with them as, at a logistics level. And then we also have a communication at a medical level as well, don't we? We, we have to almost put the spider's web out of who is involved in this plan and, and have they been trained to, to function with the team. It's, it can be quite a wide web at times, I find, the, the people you have to, to involve to make things happen. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a classic thing. Um, the test distortion is a fantastic story. Um, and I think what I get from that is, I think although we work remote, I think you know, from the phone line up, upwards, there is technology to talk to experts and the, the better the quality of expertise you can bring in and whether it's pure communications or, or video or just voice communications, video communications, working out how you can access that has got to help, hasn't it? Because um, there's nothing worse than sat on a clinical case, scratching your head thinking, I'm not sure. There's somebody out there who probably can can answer that not sure question, I think. So I think trying to work out how you get to that information, again, be organised so you know where it is, is, is hugely important. Um, no, they're, they're absolutely fantastic. And I'll always back up, you need a plan. 
um, with the with an ammunition dump, I would probably want a plan. <laughs> so, never, never. Yeah, um, but you you know you're so right. If you're not, and I think what you said um, with your evacuation on, on on your third story, you had a plan and the plan worked. If you don't have a plan, it's, it's a bit of a lottery if it's going to work on the day or not, isn't it? Um, and the more chaos you introduce, the more the more problems you're going to get. So I think those are three absolutely wonderful points we, we can put into the system, but all based on events that have happened and story, you know, and, and lessons learned um, and you know, confirmation of knowledge that we know is important, but it shows us what's happened, um, you know, based based on real scenarios. No, they're they're absolutely fantastic. Yeah, going going back to the to the testicular torsion. Uh, thing I've just I've just thought of something very important, um, uh, and that is when you're getting uh, advice from from somebody on the phone, make sure you include that in part of your, in your medical record, and it's not just you who had the bright idea. Mm. Uh, you need to, you need to include what advice you got, who you've got it from, etc. Yeah, and and of course that means you've got to have a medical record, uh, and medical records in remote areas are sometimes not quite as comprehensive as they could be. Yeah, that, that, I think that's an absolute fair one. Uh, and especially, I think, if you're working on a, um, you know, an acute case where you are quite time limited and, and, and the, the stress levels are up, you might not record everything you need. So it may be at that point, you even have somebody that can take some information down for you if, if, you, if you know you're going to be under the stress. Um, and, and certainly, know, you know, trying to deal with the chest pain remote, there's so many things the medic has to do just to get the information out. Trying to write things down at the same time is just another one of many jobs you're trying to fit in, isn't it? Um, that are time critical at that point. So I suppose if we we know we need to do that, how can we plan to do that well? And is that somebody we bring in to do that? Yeah. Obviously, with medical confidence and things to think about. But you know, I think it's thinking ahead. What what how how could it facilitate making sure that task is done correctly? Um, and I suppose that's the way we're trying to think remotely to to make sure we're functional. Yep. No, fantastic. So just, just moving on to a, a subject we've worked on a lot over, over the last few years, looking at multiple casualties in, in remote locations. Is, is there anything that you could bring out on, on, on the multiple casualty incident in, in remote locations that, that you found could be a little bit more specific to remote areas as opposed to the urban environment? Any, any, any thoughts on it at all? Yeah, yeah, lots. I mean, it's a, it's a huge area. Uh, you and I could probably uh, put everybody to sleep talking about <laughs> several hours yeah. <laughs> and, and it would be our, our special interest. But the thing to remember about the impact of multiple casualties in remote areas, and in a remote area you have by almost by definition a, uh, a very small me medical resource in terms of people and equipment. Um, you don't need many casualties before your system is overloaded uh, and a multiple casualty incident in a remote area isn't necessarily the sort of tens or twenties or more that you might think about in a uh, uh, in a conventional environment and where they, you've got lots of ambulances lots of hospitals you can spread the load you've got lots of staff uh, it might well just be you uh, and, your, and your first aid team and you can be rapidly overwhelmed by a small, much smaller number of, of serious casualties. And you've got you've got to plan for that. Uh, you've got to you've got to be able to prioritise, get your communication right, get your evacuation right, 
all the sort of stuff that's included in the in in the in the packages that, that and, and education that that we've that, that we have available for people. Um, the um, the other thing you've got to do once you've got that idea on board for yourself, you've got to sell that idea to the people that you're working with in in the team in the um, particularly the non-medical parts of that spider's web uh, you referred to, and particularly the people uh, who have to approve the plans and who have to spend the little bit of money that's required uh, to to make it work. Um, because they, if you remember one of the one of one of the bits of offshore guidance we looked at about incidents uh, about about medical medical and traumatic incidents offshore, um, and and this the the only the only the only medical reference was the medic will attend and and provide care. That's and the important the bit. <laughs> Um, yeah. A little bit more depth, please. You know. Mm. Um, so there's, there's a, it, it, as we said, it needs a lot of work. Prevention, prevention is far more important. Um, uh, you know, if if everybody's doing the job right, it's, it's going to be, uh, uh, you know, you've got very little opportunity for a uh, multiple casualty incident. Uh, but you know, everybody's human; it does happen. And of course, you might get, um, you might get involved in a multiple casualty incident. Uh, amongst the, the 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 civil population that, that surrounds your location, um, another ship, uh, the civilian uh, vehicle, uh, if civilians the right word, the local vehicle, uh, driving driving past your facility with far too many people on board and it rolls, uh, and you're not just going to leave them in the sand, there. Um, and the and these things, whatever you come up with, they need testing. Uh, whatever ideas you come up with, need testing uh, and practicing. Uh, and everybody needs to know that multiple casualties is different from single casualty. I think I think there's a, I mean, and we we've talked about this over many years. I think those are fantastic points, and um, and and I think what you were saying about that line that we often see on on the the company disaster plan uh, is that the medic will attend and give care, and that I think that shows the difference between when you're working for an industry whose sole purpose is to extract something and sell it as opposed to a medical organization whose sole purpose is to care for for injured and ill, Ill people where i suppose in their minds they've said we, you know we our obligation we have provided the medic and they'll give and should the incident happens it's over to you isn't it um so i think they've said we've ticked our box in that one but we as medics i think we've got to make them aware of the limit of the limitations that we come across um, so and I think that's, um, that's, that's really important. Um, you know, when we look at the medic, um, you know, the, the classic line of the medic will respond and, and, and give care. Um, and it probably highlights the difference between working for an organization, uh, whose primary role isn't medicine and it's usually some form of mineral extraction or, or exploration, as opposed to the, the pure medical system, which sore role is caring for for injured and ill and vulnerable people um so it's just I, I think if we understand that then we need to make sure that you know the tick in the box that the 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 industry put in that area is that that we make sure we've got a good response to that because it's not just turning up is it there's so much more to it it's making sure that that plan is i, I think as you pointed out in one of your stories if you get the plan and the team together it's going to work isn't it 
So we, we've got to make sure that people understand that it's more than us just turning up. There's, there's quite a lot of planning, logistics, communications, training, and uh, investment to getting that, the medic will respond and give care. To, to get that right, there's an awful lot more to it. And I think that's one of the things we've picked up as we've, we've been doing our, our work over the years. Mm-hmm. And, and I think rightly so, sometimes that is the case, but I think we go to other places where there are very sophisticated systems and you know there, there, there is more foundations in place for the medics to work off as well. You know, I think the nature of remote work is that you, you definitely work in some very, very well-organized locations, but some of them are maybe not so well-organized, but you can never quite know till you're there. And that, that's going to depend on the company you're working for, the company that's hired you, um, if you're working for a medical services company, and the, and the individual senior management, wherever, wherever you go. Uh, you, know, you, can, you can have one senior manager uh, who's absolutely on board, understands it, supportive, um, and his or her back-to-back might, be, might have different priorities and different, different interests. So uh, part of the joy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Joys of remote working. So just a, a last couple of questions to, to, to conclude our, our conversation today, which has been absolutely wonderful. Um, are there any sort of key points or top tips that you could give colleagues who might be looking to come into the industry of remote medicine or, or maybe going to a new deployment? Uh, just based on your experience, what, what anything you would you'd like to bring out? Yeah, first and obvious, I suppose, is um, don't lose sight of uh, the patient comes first. You, there's there's so much going on and being dragged in so many different directions, but uh, the the patient comes first. That's uh, that's your that's your principal priority. Second thing I would suggest would be don't be a stranger. Uh, you need to know the area that you're working in. You need to know where things are. You need to know how to get around. How to get to the locations where your help might required might be required. You need to know the people that you're working with. And what jobs those people actually do and, and how those jobs can impact on the health. You need to know your back to back and you need to maintain communication with your, uh, uh, with, with your team back in, back in the UK. And I know we're, we're possibly running a bit short of time, so I'll crack on. Um, you're going to have a lot on your plate. There's going to be a lot of uh, tasks that you identify and you're going to be given a lot of tasks. So you need to look at what needs to be done um, uh, and prioritize it uh, and work steadily through it. You know, don't try and do uh, everything at once. Um, and next one, don't try and do it all on your own or try and reinvent the wheel. Find yourself a mentor, particularly if you're new, if you're new to this game. Uh, talk to your peers. There's lots of advice out there now, lots of guidance from IOGP in the oil industry. Uh, the College of Surgeons in Edinburgh has got an awful lot of uh, stuff going on that's relevant to remote area care. Their, their faculty of pre-hospital care, they do a diploma in offshore medicine, and there's now uh, a faculty uh, of remote and rural healthcare, uh, which is starting to do some uh, fantastic work. There's relevant textbooks and websites. Uh, and finally, don't forget your company SLPs. They are actually there to be read um, um, and used uh, and possibly even critique to help improve them um, rather than just uh, uh, as a, uh, a device for gathering dust. I'm sorry if that sounds bitter. Um, <laughs> and the final, the final thing I would, uh, uh, I would uh, suggest is enjoy it. 
you're going to go to places uh, and meet people and do things that uh, your colleagues aren't going aren't to see. Most people aren't going to do uh, or see. Uh, and it can be a, a fabulous opportunity. Uh, and you're going to learn things and make friends that are going to last you, last you a lifetime. And depending on what the project is, uh, you could uh, even be uh, a little part of history. So, yeah, that's, that's the big one. Enjoy it. Yeah, no, I think that, that makes a huge amount of sense. So I really like what you said there. And, and the first one, I think, is so important, patient care. Um, and I know there's a few times I was dealt with a couple of incidents, especially when there's accidents. There's so many people want to know what's going on. Um, and you almost have to kick people out your sick bay because everybody wants to know about, you know, why, you know, why did this accident happen? Well, I'll, I want to bother about that because I want to know the mechanism, but I actually need to care for my patient. And you can actually find a wall of people between you and your patient. It's certainly something I've experienced before. And you have to be assertive because your patient is, is your responsibility. I think that's a, a massively important one. Every point is so important there, but I really like how you, you summed it up. You know, you're doing this for a positive experience, you know, and if you get it right, um, and, and you bond with your team correctly, you, you can end up in some wonderful places. Um, and you can, you know, I think what you said, you can, you can really make a difference. You can make the right decisions, give the right level of care and, and get some incredibly positive outcomes from, from often quite difficult scenarios. And, and I've, I've always found that bit incredibly rewarding when you get it right. Yeah. And, and that then links into the enjoyment bit of as well, isn't it? So I think those are those are excellent points. Uh, I think what we'll do there with those points, uh, we'll, we'll bring them up in a LinkedIn post in the near future um, and see if anybody else has got any other points they would, they would give as well. Yeah, no, but, yeah but, but fantastic. Just just to finish off, and it's a question we're, we're asking everybody now um, at the end of the podcast, is um, with, with your experience, um, if you were to pick one piece of medical kit that you would always take with you, what would that be? Oh, that's easy. Okay. Uh, that's, that's a magic telecommunications device. Right. That is good. That is, it's like that Desert Island Discs, this isn't okay. it? Okay. Um, yeah. It's going to be 100% reliable um, and at all times and in all locations, and it will allow me to speak to anybody I want to instantly. Okay, we, we can give you that, as they would say in Desert Island Discs. And my favourite record will be, no. <laughs> but I think what you're saying there actually is make sure if you're going to remote, you've got a device that works. Yeah. Whether that's a landline, a satellite phone, whatever other connections are in use, whatever it is, take a communications piece of kit that works. Yeah. Um, because I think if you don't have that, my goodness, you're going proper remote then, aren't you? Um, <laughs> no, absolutely, but look, Bob, absolutely fantastic conversation with you this evening. So thank, thank you so, so much for, for, for your time. Um, so so that, that, that concludes our podcast this evening. I hope everybody found that of, um, of, of interest. I, I certainly got a huge amount from, from listening to, to, to Bob's experience and, and, and his advice going forward. If you would like to ask any questions, um, probably the best place to do that is through the LinkedIn page. Uh, which is TSG Associates, or go through our website, which is um, www.tsgassociates.co.uk. Well, thank you again for listening, and uh, we'll be back soon with another unique subject and colleague. So have a good evening and goodbye. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this edition of TSG Talk. We hope you found the content of benefit. Should you have any questions or require additional information, please visit 
tsgassociates.co.uk.